Well, so this is a time of season where a large portion of our church is gone. Uh, many um, have already left the building, gone home to warmer climates. You know, I mean, it's still a, a, a feel of fallout there. I'm like, I stepped out this morning to load some equipment. Like the wind just like, I'm like, whoa, whoa. I try to talk to my son. I'm like, I can't hear you. The wind is blowing. And anyways, I'm, I'm waiting for that nice New England weather to set in. I mean, it's so short. It might, we might as well get it while we can, right? Anyways, I'm, I'm venting. Excuse me. <laughs> I love New England, you know. I do love New England. There's no place I'd rather be. Um, no, that was not a reference to the song. <laughs> that was not me trying to be, I don't know, spiritual. Or... Anyways, let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm just going to fix my podium here or whatever they call this thing. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read some scripture this morning. We're going to read a story, actually. Um, uh, a rather uh, bad situation, if you would, I guess, happening in the church of Corinth. Um, how many have enjoyed our series so far on love, sex, and everything in between? Okay, some of you. I got some golf claps out there. How many of you enjoyed it so far? Listen, we're just, we're just starting. We're just getting this ship rolling forward. I don't know how many Sundays we're going we're gonna to be here, but we're going to kind of pull the emergency break and camp here for some time. Um, so I talked a little bit about love, and I'm going to continue that talk. It was a one-sided conversation. I'm sorry, I have the mic. You don't. Um, but uh, and that was a joke. You can laugh. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk again about love, and we're going to kind of talk about the other side of love. Um, probably the side of love that we're not used to talking and for the most part, not really at peace with either when it comes to the scripture. One thing that I hope that was provoked in uh, the message last Sunday, in your thinking, in your thoughts, was does love have any boundaries? You know, we hear the words of Christ, the commandment, right? We, we, we looked at that last uh, Sunday and we see him saying, love one another. We looked all throughout the scripture and it's just saturated with the message of love, not just our love for God, but our love for one another. And I don't know about you, but I start to think, God, is there any places in you commanding me to love where there's actually places where I can protect and safeguard? Because not everybody, guys, has your best interest in mind, do they? You know? And we live in a culture today where if we're not careful, we can get hurt. And we start to think, well, you know, God, your love seems to be so radical. I'm sorry for the word. I feel like Jason Upton right there. I'm sorry. Um, but it seems to be so, like, there seems to be no limits. And, and I want to say that in no way, in preaching this message, do I want to communicate the thought that God is conditional in his love. And, and, but it's going to be kind of walking that fine line between the scriptures that we'll get into and the stories that we'll read about where you'll kind of pick up uh, in the language of the text that there is a conditional aspect of God's love. Now, one thing that comes to my mind is John chapter 15. I know I told you, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 15. Um, I'm going to start at the end of my notes and work up, I guess. Um, But in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. 
just as I obeyed the Father's commandments in remained in his love. You know, the word that kind of hits me right between the eyes really hits my heart and gets me to think, pause, I pause, I take a little time to think is the word if. If you obey my commandments. Jesus, what are you saying there? Like, for me, I don't know if it happens for you, but that seems almost conditional, doesn't it? It seems like it has kind of like a condition on it. Like, if you obey my words, then you'll remain in my love. And this is kind of the direction that I'm heading. And let me just say again that in no way do I feel uh, that the, the love of Christ is conditional. Uh, we can't do anything to obtain it, to gain it. You know, uh, there's nothing I can do in my personal life to uh, um, obtain the love of Christ. He loves me not because I'm perfect, but even as a sinner, you know. So 1 Corinthians, here's a story. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. There's an immoral situation that's happening here, and uh, Paul has uh, got word of this immorality, and he's calling the church of Corinth out on the carpet. Let, let me just say this. The church of Corinth is an influential church. They're that church that you're chiming in on their web stream, listening to their music and teaching. Paul makes reference of uh, this, their giftedness, if you would, in uh, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. They excel in knowledge, Paul says. They excel, excel, excuse me, in the arts and music and the preaching of the word. They're a pretty, pretty well-established church. Not just well-established, but well-equipped. Okay? I don't know what church you, you, you know, you kind of camp out or, you know, I, I have some online stuff that I check out. I try to not be an online guy, you know. I'm like in the present, in the moment, church kind of family guy. But I do have you know, my kind of go-to speakers that I like to listen to, they would be those guys. And Paul has caught word of something that is wrong, and he's confronting that. So let's go to the text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality among you. Something that even pagans don't do. Wow. Here Paul is calling them out on the carpet, reducing them to pagans. (laughs) Like, and again, let's just say this, that Paul is just not talking to the immoral people, the people who have actually been caught. He is addressing the church because as we'll look further in the text, you'll find that uh, the church is boasting about this immorality. That is wild. Influential church, church everybody's drinking from, eating from, participating in, listening to their messages, listening to their worship, is boasting about immorality. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. All right, pause. What about that statement appears to be loving? Like, I don't know about you, but my mind goes right to this man. I mean, this is, is this the same Paul that wrote about when your brother falls, do everything you can to restore him back to the faith? Is this the same guy that said this? Is this the same Jesus who is telling us to leave the whole for the one if they stray? No, this sounds like another side of truth, doesn't it? Remember, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It has two sides to it. And maybe if we just see the other side 
of this truth. But uh, of course, if you're anything like me, you probably think, what is loving about this? This poor guy. One thing we have to understand when we read this story is that this man is unrepentant. Okay? And so the way that Paul goes about in church discipline is not necessarily the way that we should go about with every sin and every kind of failure uh, made known to us in our church. So this is a big deal. That's what I'm trying to say. This is no small endeavor. This needs to be called out. But the most shocking thing about it is the church's response to this sin. They're boasting in this immorality. Now, this wouldn't catch us so much off guard. I didn't say that right, so I'm sorry. If we would think about Romans chapter 1, verse 6. Right? What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1, verse 6? Well, he said this. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. You see, at the time in the church, with the Romans, with the Corinthian people, there was kind of this misplaced misunderstanding of God's grace and love. And the idea was, well, there is no level of depravity we can go to. There is no deep and dark sin that we could ever go to. We might as well just do it so that God's wonderful grace can be seen. And Paul's like, whoa, stop. Where is this coming from? Are we tracking? You know, right there, I know for some of us, maybe that went right between your ears, but right there should be so clear. We should have a clear image and a clear picture of God's love. Right just by that statement. Right by the actions, the reaction of the church to the sin. In Paul's address, should we keep on sinning that God could show his wonderful grace? Of course not, he says. Let's read on in the passage. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Nothing seems loving about what Paul is encouraging this church to do. He goes on to say this, and it gets worse. Even though I'm with you in person, I'm sorry, I always do that. Even though I'm not with you in person, (laughs) I'm with you in spirit. All right, good excuse, Paul. No, um, and as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. Judgment on this man. I've already, I'm not even there, and I've already decided to judge this man according to his sin. Listen, it is 2016. We are living in Cambridge. This is just not language we use. Now, again, we're, we're talking about this in context of saying, does God's love, within our love for one another, are there places where we can safeguard ourselves? Are there places where we should create boundaries? Or should it just be wide open? Here I am, walk all over me, you know? And of course, we're not talking about immorality. I mean, you just might be talking about a simple case of sister so-and-so, you hugged her one time and now she wants to go out on a date. And you're just like, I'm just trying to be like loving, like just trying to love my, you know... As far as I know, there is no besetting sin. There is no unrepentant sin so far in this congregation that I know of. But believe me, if it happens, we will handle it this way. So he says, remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I was there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit. And so will the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, listen to this. This is like, for me, I'm, I, I'm like a deer in headlights. 
what did he just say that? He says, then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. I mean, it could it get any worse for this guy? I mean, my heart is like broke for this dude. I'm like, where is the hope? But you know, within this story, within the framework of these texts, I see much hope for this man. But is it that clear to our eyes today as you're out there in our perception of the love of God? Are you tracking with me? You know, I don't, I don't know how many times I've heard different brothers and sisters, and I've even done it myself, and it, it is Bible, it is good. But where is there the balance in what we say? Kind of like, well, if one suffers, we all suffer. You're okay, gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha, yeah. There with you. But, but, but what is the cause of their suffering? You know, you know, when, when we think about suffering, and I'm, I think when Paul even mentioned that, he was, about, he was talking about suffering for Christ. Right. <laughs> There's a difference between suffering for Christ and suffering because you cannot break free and break out of your sin nature. <laughs> we can't do away with the principle of sowing and reaping. That's what I'm saying. If you sow to the flesh, what do you reap? Or death. If you sow to the Spirit, what do you reap? Makes sense. Easy, right? Simple. And so we have to understand the checks and the balances are something might be going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And yes, if one suffers, we all suffer. But again, in context, Paul is saying, listen, if you, he's talking about suffering for Christ, not suffering because you just can't put the Twinkie down. I don't know, whatever your sin is besetting on. For me, it's food. I'm trying. I've got to fast again. Or, or well, well, Jesus would leave, you know, the whole, the 99 for the one. If the one went, Jesus would go and get him. Gotcha. Yeah, I can't debate that. But this is not what Paul is saying, is he? I mean, he goes to great extent here about saying, hey, listen, put this man outside of fellowship. I've already passed judgment. And, and by the way, hand him over to Satan. Ah! Like, Paul, I mean... Like, where is the love? Where, where do, what? But again, can I say that I see absolute hope for this man? I see absolute love and thought for this man. Even when Paul says, turn this man over to Satan. So again, recap, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 and 3, you are so proud of yourself, but you should be mourning in sorrow. So the recipe here are, are what Paul is saying. Listen, you should not be boasting about this deceit and immorality. You should be mourning. You should be uh, filled with sorrow and pain and grief over this man's sin. And can I just add that that is suffering? Like, I know, like, I could spend my time chasing after everybody, that lamb that's just gone astray. Or I could get myself in my closet and pray for that young person. I just had an, uh, an example of it this week, trying to find a brother, didn't know where he was, was concerned, fairly new in the Lord, and how, how my heart was breaking for him. I could have ripped out my hair trying to find him, trying to sniff him. Where are you? Where are you? But you know what I did? I went to my prayer closet. And I started just praying to God for him. And that... That is, in and of itself, love, guys. That is love. It's not less than. And and essentially, what Paul is saying by giving him over to Satan is like, let me do the work. That's what God's saying. Turn with me to Job. 
There's only one other time in the New Testament that Paul said language like that. It was in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 20. But I think that there's something else in view that we should give attention to. I think Paul was actually talking about a story, or, or, or maybe even got this from Job chapter 2, 6. Um, so let's read Job chapter 2, 2, verse 6. I think I have it. So in Job chapter uh, 2, verse 6, uh, it says, I'm sorry, I didn't write it down in my notes. I apologize, and I'm getting flush in, flush in my face. Um, so, okay, the devil's in the presence of the Lord. He is requesting to go after Job, and God says, go get him. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils and, uh, uh, on the, uh, from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And the result of God's gracious pers- purpose was Job 42, 6-7. Job has this resolve about the whole encounter. Now my eyes see you, O Lord, and I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So the story, the back, back story is Satan's action... Um, Wanting to go after Job, God says, go ahead. And the result of the attacks on Job's life are Job's uh, being reduced to repentance. He's, he's repenting. And he's actually being restored to the Lord. So does Satan play an active role according to what Paul's saying? Absolutely. God uses the very place where this man's immorality is off the charts, he uses it by putting him outside of the uh, fellowship, handing him over to Satan, so that the work of God may be continued in him. And this is what he says. Then, going back to 1 Corinthians, sorry, I lost my plot there, but let me try to brush it up, clean it up. Um, He said, then you must throw this man out, hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. didn't say he will be destroyed. It says that nature, that fallen nature, that sinful man will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. There's hope for this dude. But again, it's, it's, it's a, a very drastic comparison to what I kind of want to, talk about this morning. You know, I have this loving, we have this thing going on in the church right now. We have a young lady that we are trying to be uh, involved with and loving towards and aiding her. And of course, my message last Sunday, she was here for it. And, you know, my mom always said there's a side of love that's tough, you know. And we're kind of, um, I guess, administrating some tough love right now. And you know, by my message, um, she came up to me afterwards and just kind of softly rebuked me because in my message last Sunday, it almost gave the sense like there was no boundaries, like there's no, um, there's no toughness, there's no hardness in love. Like it's just, I'm an open field. Come and do with me and do with us what you want. Use us, abuse us. Talk all manner. I mean, this girl has called me Satan. She's, um, uh, she said that I have a devil in me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of you agree. I, I, but, I, but I'm just like, ah! You know, so I'm trying to be loving. But I understand that, I, that sometimes love looks a little tough. 
And, 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 and consequently, I think we see this in Paul's writings here. It's tough love, but it's all for the good of this man to be restored and on the last day of the Lord's return be saved. And so, as a church, my heart is that, yes, we are a loving people, that we are inconvenienced by love, that we are directed by love because we have drawn near or we know the author of love. But in that, I also want us to be a church that administers boundaries and safeguards and, 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 and don't get into that 60 movement, you know, like where it's just love, drugs, whatever. I don't even know what the motto was. But that's not what I'm advocating. That's not what I was advocating for last Sunday. And so I want to be clear. Guys, love does have boundaries. No, the love of God doesn't. I had a young lady for a while just hug me in a real way that was uncomfortable. I was like, whoa, girl. Like, like, my wife hugs me like that. What are you, what are you doing? Man, we ain't sharing that, girl. You know what I mean? I mean, of course I didn't say that. That's what I'm thinking. You know, that's a, that, that voice. And that's exactly the way the voice sounds, just so you know. Whoa! <laughs> and, you know, I guess today it would have been loving if I just let her hug me in any way that she wants to. I guess, you know, it's just the love of God to just say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm here, babe. Come on. You know, whatever, whatever it is. You know, I had to stand up. I had to say something. And you know what? The response from this young lady wasn't necessarily good. And you know the first thing she started accusing me of? is just my lack of love. My lack of understanding of how... She uh, shows love. I'm like, girl, that's uncomfortable. (laughs) But what would have been better if I just let her do what she wants, hug me in the way that she wants, or confront it? Love sometimes, guys, is hard. It's hard. And, and, And often people who kind of Hold that line, are accused of being religious. And the idea is like, hey, you know, deal with the log in your eye. Like, before you come. I say deal with the log in your eye so you can go deal with the speck in your brothers, you know. But and the idea is like, that's not loving. The idea is like, he who, is, uh, he who without sin cast the first stone. But it, do we really get that feel from this text? No. We see Paul having to make borders and boundaries. In this case, it wasn't a a case of, um, you know, uh, just let's love him. Let's hope that in loving him, he will be restored. No, it was put this man outside. Put this man outside of fellowship. Give him over to Satan. Let God do his work. You know, I get a kick out of people that struggle and just give their blood and sweat into working with people, and it never produces any fruit. Meaning you're going hard after somebody who may be fallen. You're like, I'm just trying to love them, take it out for coffee. Meanwhile, your bank account is drifting. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're tired, you're weary. I'm like, dude, would you give it up? That is not love. Like you, like gnawing at this dude's heels. That, that in no way is love. And probably this dude is saying, leave me alone. 
Sometimes it's best to just rest and put this person over the side and pray for him. There is real love in that place where Paul is admonishing the church of Corinth to have uh, mourning and sorrowful pain over this man's deceit. And I don't know about you, but I've been a, a lot more effective just witnessing my own life in praying for people first than just trying to go after, go after, chase and chase, leave the hole for the one. Now, it takes discernment, guys. You know, sometimes you have to be inconvenienced. Sometimes it calls for leaving the hole to going after the one. You know, and it's such a fine line because nowhere in Scripture do I see the apostles or Jesus try to be balanced in their love. (laughs) You know, in no way do I see, I see them loving extravagantly, being murdered, beaten, killed, and destroyed. So I'm like, God, what? How do we reconcile this? But it is balance. There is a balance. There is a, there is a fine line to walk. So discernment, we got to discern what God is doing and what God wants us to do. Are you hearing me? You know, if there is somebody that's trying to pursue you and you're just trying to be loving and not making it evident that, listen, there is nothing here. <laughs> like, I got no interest. I'm just trying to be a brother. I'm just trying to be a sister Lord. It might be better that you make that known. <laughs> it, it might be good that you actually tell that person and take the risk of losing their friendship. Take the risk of having them curse you or whatever it is or chase you, stalk you, I don't know. But make it clear. Make your intentions clear. Do it in love, but make it clear. We're not called to cookie cutter religion Christianity. I'm not going to allow somebody to hug me centrally for the sake of love. No. I'm sorry, it just ain't going to happen. Do I love you? Yes, but you are not allowed to touch me that way. It's for my wife. And if she sees it, you in trouble, girl. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. (laughs) Best deal with me than her. We have a lot of questions that are um, coming in. Thank you guys for everybody who's participating in, uh, with giving us questions to answer. I'm excited about the Q&A and to really talk openly and honest about um, these issues in this topic that we're on. But I think the one thing that I'm advocating for this morning is, is that on every front, every level, that we are truthful with one another we're transparent with one another, that we're, we're able to pay a price for truth. You know, it's not easy uh, planting a church like this in Cambridge. I told a story last night at, uh, in the House of Prayer. It was a great night. Thank you if you were, 
here with us. But I told a story of a man named John Bevere. I don't know if you know him, but um, if you do, that's great. Um, but he, some time ago, wrote a book called The Fear of the Lord. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago? Maybe it's even further back. But it was a controversial, like, it was a, it was a book that it, it just had a firestorm surrounding it. And I talked about um, him losing a lot of his closest friends because of this book and some of the topics that he was talking about. Some pastors and friends that he had journeyed through and with throughout the years have like turned their back on him because you know, they just don't agree with the content of this book. And so one day, he's out in this open field crying out to God because he's frustrated. I mean, it's not easy losing friends, guys. I've lost a couple just from starting this church and J-Hop just because of truth, just because of me saying, no, we don't do things that way. That, that may have worked over there. That may be what you're used to. But here in this house, this is the way we roll. And so there, there, there's a cost. There's a cost. So anyways, he's in an open field and he is frustrated. He's crying. He's feeling the pain of the loss of friends. And he says, God, why did you choose me to write this material, this book? God says, I didn't. I didn't choose you, John. I chose two before you, and they didn't want to write it. And John was like, you know, that moment of sobriety hit him like a ton of bricks. You know, there's a price to pay, guys, for truth. There's a price to pay in our culture and our society, specifically in the church. We are trying to tailor-make messages, tailor-make content to better suit and appease to people more than we are just giving the word simply for what it simply means. We over-contextualize texts. We wrap our intellectualism around, and I'm all for thinking. I love thinking. (laughs) We wrap so many theology G's around the text that we water it down. And my question, my appeal to us is not just even as a church, but as individuals. Are we willing amongst our family, in our context here, are we going to allow ourselves to be freely open with our brothers and sisters? And are we willing to pay the price for that truth? And on the other side, Are we able, as brothers and sisters in Christ, able to receive that truth? Or is it going to offend us and put us outside? I can't believe you talked to me like that. I can't believe you said that. That is so unloving. Who are we going to be, guys? These are defining moments in our community right now. Defining moments in more ways than one. And who are we going to be as a church? Now, I'm not asking and even advocating for looking for problems under every stone. I don't like those types of people. I'm I'm, I'm loosely saying that. I love everybody, but it doesn't, I don't want that type of context. But what I do want is a people that can absorb the truth, can take the truth, and respond to the truth rightly. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You know, the love of God 
is much like everything about God. It's nothing like our love. It's nothing like the way we love. It, 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 it stands by itself. And so we need to be renewed in our thinking, don't we? Because sometimes we have this concept of love that is very earthly. It's very here in this kind of zone. And God's love is so outside of the box. And we see it in one case when God says, go and get your brother who's falling. And we see in another case God saying, put this man outside of this church and hand him over to Satan. God's love, much like everything about God, is so outside of your thinking, my thinking, my words, your words, your experience, my experience. It is so outside. And so my prayer today as a church is that we would be renewed in our thinking. That our understanding of love would not just be in this realm, in this life, but we would look and define love by the scripture. How we see God love people is how I want to love. Not the way Hollywood betrays it. Not the way Facebook betrays it. You know, I, I, I got to make a confession. I literally try to stay away from posts about my wife because it is, well, I won't say that. In those right times, you know what I'm saying? You're just, you feel that pressure like everybody's doing it. Look at all these news feeds. It's everywhere. I got to do it. But we don't want to define love by what we see, songs we hear, movies we watch, statuses we observe daily. We want to define and have love be defined by Scripture. And one of the hardest things for me to ever get about the love of God is in Hebrews, where it actually talks about the discipline of God and how if you are not disciplined, then you are orphaned. You are not saved. Wrap your mind around that. Listen, this act of discipline, this act that was happening in Corinthians that Paul was addressing was absolutely loving and absolutely necessary. And I guarantee you at one point, we will face it. And God's love sometimes is hard. It corrects us, but it's because of his love. Let's pray. Father, these are not easy topics talk about, Lord, because our understanding is so small. But Lord, I ask God that you would expand our thinking, Lord, that you would expand our spirit, that you would expand our knowledge, and that you would give us the word of God, Lord, that we would understand love, and not just understand it, but live in a loving manner as a church. God, that we would understand that sometimes love is truthful, God. Sometimes love doesn't even appear to be loving, God. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would help us as a church to not have our definition, uh, the way we define love through um, what we see in this world, what we see in our relationships, but, God, we would look to your word and as a church, we would adhere to your word and we would love in the manner that we see Christ's love, but that we also see the apostles teach. 
God, that's my desire. Lord, I, I pray, God, today that you would safeguard us from a spirit of offense, God, spirit of bitterness where, Lord, our love would be threatened and be turned off because of bitterness or because of uh, uh, um, things that have happened even amongst one another. God, we just ask, Lord, that we would be a community who is uh, rooted and grounded in the word of God and that our definition of love would be by the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's 11.